0: We have made it to the last chapter of Jonah, and as we are going through this book about the rebellious prophet, a lot of people, as I've mentioned, called him the reluctant prophet, and he was reluctant. He he did hesitate to, to go to Nineveh, but I think he did more than hesitate. I think he went in the opposite direction, and he tried to get away from where God was calling him to go, and that's rebellion, going against God's wishes and going against what God desires. This morning, as we look at Jonah, and as we read these verses, we're we're only going to cover four verses, although we will look back and be reminded of some previous verses in this book. As we look at these verses, I really hope that we can see ourselves through this passage, through the Scripture. I think it's just part of our psychology where if, if there's something that is confrontational, uh, we don't like to see ourselves in it. And when there's something that is, is calling out sin, we would like to think that we're better, that we would not be that way. But I hope that we can be humble this morning and that as we come to this passage, that each one of us will ask the Lord to search us and see if there's any of this in us, if there's any of Jonah in us. And if you're like me, as we've been studying Jonah Unfortunately, I have seen a lot of Jonah in me, and I pray that this morning as we're studying this, that God would use his word to truly convict us, that God would use his word to truly give us direction, and that it would encourage us and challenge us to be more like him and less like Jonah. Uh, It's interesting that this might be the best example of how to be as a missionary, and when I say that, I mean... Be the opposite of Jonah. We don't want to do things the way Jonah did as a missionary. We're going to talk about that even more next week. But as a Christian, as living our lives for Jesus and loving others, the people around us, we want to make sure that we have the heart of God and not the heart of Jonah in this situation. With that said, uh, we're specifically going to be looking at the selfishness of Jonah. And we've seen that already but we're going to be look we're going to look at how his selfishness led to bitterness so therefore for us our selfishness leads to bitterness and so we want to make sure that we are examining ourselves this morning to see if there's any selfishness in us and maybe maybe if if you're like me you've had moments in your life where you examine yourself and you realize that there's bitterness there and that different things might have led to that, that outcome. And, and in this case, I do believe that it's Jonah's selfishness that leads to his bitterness. With that said, I want to remind you that for those of you who may, maybe you haven't been here, you don't know the story, that Jonah was a prophet who the word of the Lord came to him and told him to go to this city called Nineveh, and Jonah tried to go in the opposite direction. And God got his attention with a, a, a terrible storm. And Jonah was on the sea, so the storm really was something else. And it ended up with, I'm making a very long story. It's actually not that long. It's two pages in my Bible, but I've made it long with 15 weeks of sermons. Maybe not that many, but you know my point. Jonah is thrown overboard off this ship, and he is drowning, and he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord is faithful. The Lord hears his cries. The Lord rescues him. And that's chapter 2 is all about how the Lord rescued him. And he rescued him in an unlikely way by a great fish swallowing Jonah. So he was rescued from the storm but into the belly of the fish. And then after some time in the fish and and after Jonah's prayers and repentance, the fish spit him out. And so he goes to Nineveh and he begins to preach to the people. Now, to show you how God is setting all this up, archaeologists know where Nineveh was, okay? So my brother uh, one time sent me a an email when he was in Iraq one of those times, and he said, I'm probably the only person who's ever sat on the ruins of Nineveh and watched Spaceballs, the old Mel Brooks film. And so it, we know where Nineveh was. And they have done some archaeological digging there and one of the things that they found is that the main god that the people of Nineveh worshiped that they found on stones and everything was a fish. And so here is Jonah who was swallowed by a fish. A man shows up smelling all like a fish telling them to repent or their city would be destroyed. So he got God got their attention. The people repented. If you remember chapter 3, the people repented. And because of their repentance, the very last verse of chapter 3 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see, some, some prophecies are conditional. Many prophecies actually are conditional, where if this doesn't happen, then this will happen. Or if you do this, then it will lead to this. And so here, Jonah says that this is going to happen, but since the people repent, God relented from what he said he was going to do. And so as we study Jonah and as we have studied Jonah, there have been several times in my own life where I get to a point where I have to repent, where I have to say, God, forgive me because I've done this or "I've, I've disobeyed in this way or whatever the case might be. And this morning, as we're looking at this passage, I pray that if if this is true for any of us, that we would repent. Maybe because of the hardness of our hearts and how that works sometimes, Um, maybe there has been something that you've been struggling with for a long time, and maybe it's from the past, but you haven't repented of it yet. And if that's the case, then I pray that this morning that you would ask for forgiveness and that you would turn from that sin. So, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this. But it displeased it being the fact that the people repented and the Lord relented from the disaster. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. How many of y'all remember that time where we sent out the missionaries and everybody got saved and they were mad about it? No, this is it. This is the only time. I mean, this makes no sense. This is the opposite of what God would desire. And it seems like if you were a man or a woman of God, that when the people repented, this would be the very thing that you were excited about, that we would praise the Lord about. Why why do we do what we do when we go tell people about Jesus? Why do we evangelize? Why do we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people? Because we want them to know him. We want them to know the joy of forgiveness. We want them to know the joy of a relationship with Jesus. We want them to know freedom. We want them to know about eternity. We want them to know about the fact that God has promised that he will make all things new. We want them to know about these things. And here, Jonah goes and he tells them, God is going to destroy your city. And they repent. And God relents. And that seems like great news, except for Jonah, it wasn't. Now, here's what's interesting. Well, I'll get to that. It, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In fact, if, if you look at the footnotes in some of your Bible, if you go back to the, the Hebrew, it, it's worded in a way where not only did it displease Jonah, not only was he angry about it, but he, was, he felt righteous in his anger. He thought God was wrong. He thought he was right for feeling this way. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to forgive them. It just doesn't make sense (laughs) unless we start thinking about who Jonah is and think some things we've already mentioned as we preach through Jonah, um, that Jonah was very prejudiced against the Assyrians because they were the enemy of the Israelite people, Jonah's people. We see prejudice and racism in the Bible throughout at different places, and here's an example of it. He... He didn't like these people because they were from a foreign country. They were his enemy, and that's that. Now, I'm very glad to be an American, and lots of people in my family have fought in the military, both my brothers, both my grandfathers. I'm very glad that we live in a country where we have the freedom to meet here and worship here this morning. But I don't care what country someone is from. If I have the opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus, then I'm going to tell them. And whether they're my friend or foe, if they get saved, I'm going to be excited about it. And, and yet, here's Jonah, who was so prejudiced against his enemy. And now, look, they had obviously harmed some people. They repented of their violence in the last chapter. So I'm not saying that this should have been easy for Jonah. But, I mean, you're going to a pretty far extreme here. When he prayed to the Lord, which, by the way, echoes what he did in chapter 2. He prayed to the Lord from the waters. He prayed to the Lord, and he said to the Lord, is this not what I said that you were going to do? And remember how excited Jonah was in chapter 2 when God relented from his wrath? And now here God is relenting from his wrath again. But since Jonah is not the beneficiary of the relenting, he's mad about it. How selfish is that? Of course, he was excited when God chose to save him from from the waters after his blatant rebellion. But when God chose to do the same thing and save the Ninevites from their blatant rebellion, he gets upset about it. I knew you were going to do this. And look, this is still around. This is still around today. And it might not be this blatant. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at a few different ways where this might be in our life. First, I'll tell you one of the most obvious ways. I'm not going to tell you the church, where it is located, who the pastor was, any of that stuff. But when I was in college, I did a summer mission thing. And and what it was is they placed college students at different churches who could not afford youth ministers. And we were the youth ministers at that church for the summer. And they could place us anywhere. People just, churches applied to, to have us placed, and they placed us there. This was something we we did for free. We had to pay for our own housing and stuff like that. It, it wasn't something that we got paid for. It was just a volunteer mission thing. That church was a small country church, and they were running about 15 whole people, uh, And and then they got a pastor in April, either late March or early April. And the church began to grow. And when I got there in May, the end of May, beginning of June, uh, they had doubled to about 30 people. And the church was growing and the church kept growing. By midsummer, we had like 20 teenagers, 20 youth. And that's not even counting the rest of the people in the church. And so this church was just growing and growing. And it was incredible what God was doing uh, in this church. And then I remember in July, one morning, uh, the, the, uh, one Wednesday night, I, I, I got to the church. And on a Wednesday night, there were like 40 people there. Not even a Sunday morning. And I thought, man, this is incredible what God is doing here. Because, I mean, even the week before, we only had like 30 people on a Wednesday night. Well, the 10 extra were there to vote the pastor out that night. Because the Sunday morning before, he brought a black guy to church with him. And this was a primarily white church. They knew that they picked this specific Wednesday night to do it so soon because they knew that two of the key leaders were out of town. This is a church, by the way. They try to vote the pastor out. They, the people who are saying these things are using language that I will not repeat here. And they were being extremely hateful. And I had this teenage girl who was of mixed race weeping beside me. I don't even know half of what was said in that meeting. Because all I could do was cry with her as they were using the N-word and other things. I remember an, an elderly man in the church stood up. And he basically told the people that what they were saying was not scriptural. It was not biblical. And that the church was going to do what the Bible said and not what they wanted. And he took a stand and it was very brave. And it was an example to everybody there. And he did it with humility. And it was, it was excellent. Now, I called that pastor uh, last week because we had never talked about that night since. We're still friends, but for whatever reason, I guess it was just kind of chaotic for both of us, and we didn't want to talk about it. So I called him to see if my memory of that was the same as his memory. And so I said, I said, before I tell you what I remember, will you tell me what you remember of that night? And he said, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I said, well, tell me what you remember about it he said, well, should have taken control better. I should have been more gracious. And he started naming all these incredible things where I thought, man, this guy is way more like Jesus than me. Because his focus was on what he could have done better. When I look at it, and I thought he did everything he could have, I mean, in, in a situation like that. But these people that came to vote him out that night, were voting him out because they believed that they had a God-given privilege to have a relationship with him and to worship him and that other people were less than that and deserved less than that. And that's what Jonah felt. Now, obviously, Jonah didn't see it, but the very thing that he needed in chapter 2 the very grace and mercy that he needed in chapter 2, when he got it, he praised God. He thanked God. Remember, that's what the whole of chapter 2 is about until the last verse. But when God gave the same privileges to the Ninevites, he was mad about it. Now, maybe some of you in here have experienced something similar to that. Maybe you haven't. But I'm, I'm here to say that I think that this passage talks more to more situations than just that. I think this passage is here to tell us that what we want doesn't matter as much as what God wants. And what we think is best doesn't matter compared to what God thinks is best, what God knows is best. And our opinions and our preferences don't matter compared to this. And whatever this says is what we have to do. Now, how we apply this might look differently. But if we're obeying this, it will. our different actions will all be in unity. Because if we're doing what the Bible says then the outcome of that for the church is unity because we're all living in his likeness. So let, let me reread verse 2, and we're going to go on to verse 3, and I'll continue. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. How selfish is Jonah that when he doesn't get his way, his go-to preference is death? Well, if if I can't have it my way, I don't even, what's the point of living? And again... Let's reflect on this. This isn't what was being told to Isaiah or Jeremiah, where you're going to have to preach the gospel and they're not going to listen. He's mad because he preached the gospel, Old Testament version. They listened, they repented, and God relented from his wrath. He's mad because what we desire to happen, if, we're desiring what God desires happened. And so I would say that this is the direct result of a man who cared more about what he wanted and cared more about himself than he cared about what God desired than he cared about an entire city that he cared. About people getting saved, about God sparing people and them turning to God. They didn't know Him and then they knew Him. Here's the irony in all this the people who didn't know God knew to repent. And the prophet of God, who has already repented once, but it called, it, it, His repentance was caused by some very specific circumstances, drowning. Now here he is again, and he doesn't even know that God is right, and he is not. Or he knows what's right, and he doesn't care. His bitterness, well, his selfishness led to a bitterness that prevented him from wanting what God wanted. And I think that this needs to be a warning to all of us. And I think that as we get older, the temptation for selfishness and bitterness can increase and increase if if we don't turn that over to the Holy Spirit, just like any sin can increase. And and if we're not careful, we can come to a place where we say, I don't care what God wants. This is how things need to be. And that's what that man in that church that I told the testimony about earlier, that's the place where he and his friends that came that night, that's the place that they came to. Where when they were confronted with the truth, they admitted that what they were saying was not biblical, but they still didn't care. They still didn't want that man in their church, and they were just blatant about it. And if we're not careful, maybe we come to a place of hardness, of heart, where we will say that, where we'll just blatantly say it. Or maybe we don't even realize we've come to that place, but our actions speak it. When all we care about is getting our way and what's best for us and how people are treating me and all these things. And we can forget about all the people around us and why God has placed us on earth and he has placed us here As he came to serve, not to be served. And he has given us a job to love people. And and if we're his, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to be his, then this type of service should be a reality in our life. This type of love should be a reality in our lives. Is it easy? No. I've been complaining to my wife all week about not getting my way. Not with her, she gives me whatever I want. But if I ask for a steak, she pulls out the charcoal and get no, I'm just playing. No, it's not easy when you don't get your way for any of us. But it's what we're called to do. But it goes a step further, and I believe that it shows the wickedness of our hearts when. Yes, we don't get our way, and we're not happy about it. That's one thing. But when we don't get our way, we're not happy about it, and we're mad at God about it, and we're going to go ahead and do what we want anyway, which is what Jonah was doing until he was almost drowning. And now it's what he's doing again with the audacity to tell God, I knew you were going to forgive these people. You're wrong for this this is why I didn't even want to come here because I knew you would go through with this. He's basically, and I'm taking some liberties here. This is all me and not what the scripture is actually saying. But I think he is basically saying, you don't know what's right. If you were going to do what was right, you would have destroyed these people. That's the right thing to do. But I knew if I came here, you would be too weak to do that. Because I would tell them that they needed to repent and that they were going to repent and you would relent from the disaster. I I knew that they would cry out and you would give them that. And if we have that attitude, then not only are we selfish and not only is that absolutely going to lead to bitterness if we don't repent of that and we don't get that right with God. But it completely blinds us to how grateful we should be to what God has done for us. Because Jonah is forgetting that just two chapters earlier, he was the one crying out and needing mercy. And he was very grateful when he got it. But how did he respond when God gave it to the Ninevites? And so here's how we're going to close. Verse 4, God asks Jonah a question. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? What are we mad about? What are we upset about? What are we bitter about? Sometimes we do well to be angry. God is angry times in scripture Jesus was angry to the point where he took a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple anger's not always bad but if your anger takes you to a place where you don't care what God desires or you don't care what is best for him for you for the church then your anger has turned to sin. When your anger leads to sinful actions, then your anger is sin. And so, just as the Lord asked to Jonah, I asked to us this morning, do we do well to be angry? I asked each one of you, do you do well to be angry? And so, maybe your anger and maybe your bitterness stems from something that happened 40 years ago, or 10 years ago, or yesterday. And not only should we repent of our wrongs, but we should pray for the people who have wronged us. We should ask God to forgive them, we should want them to be forgiven. And if God is gracious enough and merciful enough to answer our prayer, then we should rejoice. Because we serve a good God who is willing to forgive, who is merciful. Jonah was right. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's right. That is God, and he shouldn't be upset about that. He should be rejoicing about the repentance of Nineveh just as he was of his own repentance in chapter 2. But many times we're so inward focused that we only care about ourselves and about how people treat us and about how things affect us. And when that's all that we can concern ourselves with, and I'm speaking from experience, it blinds us to the needs of the people around us. It blinds us to the purpose of God in his church. Because how can you play your part in living unity with the rest of the body if you're just focused on yourself? I have no idea. This might be the worst sermon I've ever preached. I I don't know. It could be that God is going to use his word in this sermon to challenge and convict hearts to the core. It could be that some of you are going to walk out of here and, and this meant nothing. And some of you maybe are going to walk out of here changed people. But what I know is, is that Selfishness leads to bitterness, and bitterness will grow roots that affect everything, every part of our life. And my hope here this morning is is that if you are a person who is struggling with this, that those roots don't choke out the truth that's being taught here this morning. how you respond is between you and God. Let us pray, and we'll have our invitation. Lord, we love you. And I pray that your word would challenge us this morning, that you would reveal to us any selfishness in us, and that it would convict us. You would convict us. Your word, your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would make our sin evident, that it would just we would not be able to walk out of the doors this morning without repenting. Lord, I pray that if we have ever had hatred or dislike for someone like Jonah had for the Ninevites, I pray that we would not only repent to you, but that we would try to make things right with that other person or those people. God, I pray that you would forgive us of our bitterness, that you would forgive us of our selfishness. And God, I, I'm, I'm glad that Jonah was able to come to you and bring his grievance to you, but I'm also glad that you, just was, you were blunt with him and you asked him, do you do well to be angry? Lord, I pray that as we come to you right now in prayer, as we individually cry out to you or bring our grievances to you, I pray that you would, in the same way that you did with Jonah, that you would speak truth to us and that it would be cutting and that we would be able to repent this morning and be forgiven. Lord, I pray that if, there, if we've ever caused division between us and another person, inside the church, outside the church, saved person, lost person, Lord, that you, we would have the love for them that you had for the Ninevites. And that you had for Jonah. And that as you extend grace and mercy to us, we would extend grace and mercy to others. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. And during this time of invitation, if you need to pray, you can pray. If you need to talk with me, I'll, I'll be right down here. If you need to talk with someone else, then do that. If you need to leave and call someone to ask their forgiveness, then do that. You respond and however, however God is leading you to respond.